Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. Also joining us today is a friend of the show, Dr. Andrew Holter. If you're new to Fire Headlines, Andrew is an organizational psychologist, owner and principal consultant for FR Strategies. We're very happy to have him back as a reoccurring guest. Our topic today is preventing firefighter injuries. FEMA has recently awarded Georgia Southern University a $1.1 million grant to help researchers assist firefighters with injury mitigation, better work outcomes, and reduction in financial burdens. Now, while I was reading this article, I was reminded of my time as a collegiate athlete because it mentioned things such as a nutrition specialist and athletic trainers. And we would spend a lot of time learning how to take care of our bodies and get the best results out of our performances. So this made me wonder, Jeff, during your time in the fire service, did you have any coaching or classes on how to properly fuel your body for this type of duty in the fire service? First of all, Samantha, thanks for the lead in. Good to be here with everybody on the on the podcast today. Uh, Yeah, actually, I did. I don't want to say cutting edge. I don't want to go overboard here, but North Las Vegas was dabbling and actually Las Vegas was too, as I recall, with uh, UNLV and they were bringing in science and they were bringing in actual trainers and we were going through this sort of, it wound up being like a year or two year time frame where we were doing regular check-ins with certain physical assessments and there was some nutritional guidance as well. And so the answer to that question is yes. And I, you know, at least anecdotally, I feel like in Southern Nevada, for sure, there has been opportunities and access to such things over the course of my career. I've seen it and it's, and it, you know, it's definitely undulated ups and downs, more engaged, less engaged, but you know what this article did for me really being thoughtful or reflective on the word integrative approach, it really spells out four things. One is nutrition. Two is physical activity. Three is our PPE. And then four is sleep. And I really hope that this integrative study incorporates all of them because together they are all huge contributing factors to illness and injury in firefighters. And I just feel like to some extent, we turn a blind eye at bits and pieces of it. And I just don't know how much progress we're we're making. And let me give you a couple, for examples. I'm a big fan of eating. I'm good at it. It's one of my skills in life. I love to eat. And firefighters make outstanding, and I mean outstanding meals. They're some of the best meals I ever had were at a fire station, gourmet level. I mean, it was great. And the other piece that was great, it was all you can eat. And I ate a ton and it was all about portion control. And I just think that nutrition is a piece of the puzzle that's difficult. The 24-hour shifts, as awesome as they are for me as a firefighter, I think that they're a contributing factor. 
I think that there is levels of physical activity. Some firefighters, they are, they're really active. Some don't do anything. And then there's the PPE portion of it where you just never know what that intersection is with, with all of them. So I kind of went off on a tangent there, Samantha. Yes, I did get coaching and early on and throughout my career. I'm just not quite sure if that that's really the difference into making a healthy firefighter. Andrew, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, as a firefighter myself, I went through the Connecticut State Fire Academy and uh, we had a lead a PT instructor who was very much into coaching us, not only on physical health, but also uh, mental and uh, nutritional wellness. And so uh, I definitely think it's important. But to Jeff's point, there's definitely a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And one of those is even uh, from an organizational perspective is like the culture. You know, happy workers get get injured less at work. Um, they are looking to cut fewer corners. They're more in line with following established policies or SOGs. And so if you have engaged in happy workers, uh, you know, that's another piece of it, too. What is what is the culture of your organization? And uh, I, I think that's. For the fire service, I think that's just as important as our physical uh, fitness level when it comes to injury prevention. Andrew, I love you for bringing that up. That is something that it's why it's so valuable to have you on the show to give that slice of the perspective that I'm just not sure if we if we would have been able to highlight it. And I just think that that is outstanding that there is data and research to support that a more fulfilled employee is less apt to get injured. Because I do think that that's a struggle inside of the fire service today. It's almost cliche, low morale. I don't know of a fire department that's out there, at least that's vocal about it, saying that they have awesome morale. It, it seems as though every fire department has some level of low morale. And then hyper hyperbole gets to them to the point where it's the lowest it's ever been. And if I've heard that once, I've heard that, you know, a number of times too. And I think that that, that happiness and again, that fulfillment and the contributing factor to injury is certainly incentive for organizations to take that seriously and, and, you know, to try to crack that egg. And that's a tough egg to crack. I, uh, I think that once someone figures out, the ability to repeat performance on building outstanding morale, then that person's going to be a billionaire because that is a tough one to, that's a tough one to accomplish. It really is. And I know that there's many out there that try, you know, and I, I certainly uh, was one as an administrator. I, I, I strive to, to make dense into that and it's difficult it really is it's a super big challenge yeah for sure i, I think if um more organizations could figure could figure that out that would that would change a lot of things and it would take a lot of consultants and stuff out of business but it's definitely i think that piece of it is the piece that the fire service in particular though whereas uh, the private sector has been a little bit quicker to adopt and look at that the fire service has kind of lagged behind on those things, you know, and relied on our traditionalist uh, view of things or, you know, the, the fire service culture as a historical type of thing, as opposed to trying to, you know, create that that culture that exists where 
you know, people work safe because they want to and that they're they're minding that and they're concerned about that. Bob and Andrew, this is a question I want your opinion on as well. But let's bring Bob into the conversation. Bob, what are your thoughts on fire departments having an athletic trainer on staff for their firefighters, similar to how sport teams do? Or do you know of any fire departments that are already maybe taking this direction? Yeah, thanks, Samantha. There are some fire departments that have real aggressive uh, wellness programs that have folks like physical therapists and athletic trainers on staff. Now, they're usually large metro departments that have a budget to be able to sustain some level of staff like that. But whether whether you you staff somebody with that expertise or you contract with a local provider that can do it for you, say, say a several small organizations, which is something I was really interested in doing in Oregon, where I was at bringing together all of the organizations together and being able to contract with a wellness clinic. And there's a lot of reasons why that never, never came to fruition. But I, I think it is necessary. And, and let's be honest, like having a coach for any aspect of sustainability in your career, whatever that is, executive leadership coach, a health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, et cetera, is better off than not having one. You know, if we're making this this analogy to professional athletes or collegiate athletes, you know, none of these athletes would be. Well, I shouldn't say none too absolute. A, a gross majority of athletes are successful because they have resources like this and coaches who are at their disposal to make them better and make them perform better. So applying that ideology into the fire service makes a lot of sense to me. But there's a lot of differences in these athletes too. Like I get it. I get the tactical athlete approach and saying like this is a very physically demanding job and we have to prepare folks to be able to do it. When you're playing sports in college or or professional you are selected specifically for your athletic prowess and you are looked at at whatever the life cycle of the particular sport you play is. You're going to come into college, do four or five years and move on to pro or for most college athletes, move on to something else other than sports. So you are fueling the machine with those resources for say four to five years and whatever, I don't know the the lifespan of, of a typical, it depends on your position too, of say like an NFL football football athlete. The point I'm, I'm illustrating is that we're looking at 25 to 30 year careers of firefighters, and it's a different approach to how how they sustain wellness throughout that lifetime. So your employment is different than you're being paid or, and or incentivized in some other way to be an athlete and perform a certain way. So I, I just wanted to highlight what I see as being some of the differences between an athlete approach and what we're trying to accomplish in the fire service. I'm not rejecting the idea. I think the idea of integrating wellness programs like this, this one that they got funded in Georgia to do is really important. Here's where I, I see some of the issues. Number one, if athletes don't perform, they get cut from the team, frankly, and they bring in new athletes to do the job. That isn't how the fire service works, works broadly. So that gets me to this point of autonomy. It's unclear in this article how this program is being implemented. Is it an opt-in program? Is it an opt-out? Is it mandatory that folks are going to have to participate? It seems like there's probably energy and enthusiasm to do so. The point I'm highlighting is that the barrier to many of these initiatives, I, I would argue, is not is not administration, although it may be, because there is good evidence in programs like this on how it saves money. It's a culture of labor unions. What happens when someone doesn't perform to a standard that we need? What happens when they're non-compliant with what the nutritionist recommendations were doing? 
Because you could bring in a nutritional coach all day long. If it doesn't change your behavior two thirds of the time when you're not working, then you're not going to see the results. You're not going to optimize the results of that. And assuming for one second, you can control what people are, are, are eating and or doing while they're at work. So there is enough evidence for us to know that just simply providing this information to folks isn't sufficient. It isn't sufficient. How does it integrate into the program? And this is where you start to see you know, interests in, in, in bargaining to say, well, if, you know, if we perform at a high level of, of athleticism or superiority, I want additional funds, additional money, incentives, pay incentives for folks who get who pass a certain score or what have you. I mean, so that's this is where it starts to become slightly more nuanced than whether or not a program in the system in the system is, is good or not. I want to be clear. I think it is. And I think our firefighters should have access to these types of resources, strength and conditioning, athletic trainers, nutrition specialists, mental, mental skills experts. I think that should be part of the culture of what it is that we're trying to build. The barriers aren't always the administration and its willingness to fund. It's how do we create a program that makes sense, that does get this return on investment or cost savings or reinvestment in the employee that this project's trying to do. And then I'll leave it with this. They highlight about cost savings to the healthcare system overall, like long-term. If you have these things when you're, when you come into the fire service and throughout your career, how does that save the health system? I think that's a good cost benefit analysis to have. The other piece to where this work is really demonstrating its success is, is firefighters who are injured recovering and the recovery time is, is substantially faster when you are supported with healthcare resources, like what's being talked about here. Versus a conventional workers comp model where it's you got to go through physical therapy for so many months. And then that, when that doesn't work, then maybe you'll get the MRI nine months later when your when your ankle is healed, you know, partially healed incorrectly. And that, like that, that whole thing's a mess. And meanwhile, you know, you're off completely unhappy and someone's working your shifts on on overtime and the costs associated with that. This is the right direction. This is where we need to go. Uh, I want to have stronger conversations at the table of what does this look like as as a system, as overall, because right now is if there's autonomy, if there's choice in the employees and they opt out to do that, what is what does that ultimately look like? And then how do we support a, a workforce for their, I mean, this is a life, like this is a life cycle of being a firefighter. This isn't you know, you're working a third of the time and I'm just generalizing that a third and two thirds, you're not. And then you're, you're living life like the rest of those, those time frames, and you're out doing, you know, high risk sports or, or, or you're not, or you're, or you're a couch potato when you're not at work. And I, I so there's, there's just, I, I, again, highlighting some of the nuanced differences between treating our worker or workforces, athletes, and what athletes are are going through, at least as I understand it. Because I was not a collegiate athlete like you were, Samantha, with your with your humble brag of your of your athletics. Hey, I'm not a I'm not in the fire service, so it's as close as I can relate to you guys. <laughs> I'll just jump in with Bob. I don't I don't want him to row in that boat alone. I wasn't a college athlete either, man. It's all good. <laughs> All right, Andrew, let's hear some of your thoughts on that topic of the culture of be, of having that mentally health and physically health atmosphere in the fire department and whether an athletic trainer can help in those situations. Sure. I think anything like that is a piece of the puzzle, right? And, and both Jeff and Bob have kind of hinted at that a little bit. If we're going to start adopting the industrial athlete sort of mantra for, for the fire service, which has been kind of running in parallel to us in, in general industry for 
20 years, that we have to look at it as a holistic thing and provide those those all those elements that come with it um, from you know active release therapies and physical therapy and strength training and athletic training to folks that can talk about mental health and substance abuse and, and other problems that seem to surface quite a bit in the fire service and how folks can mitigate and mediate those things so that they don't become a problem for them. Just just like our relationship with food. You know, I, I, I'm right there with Jeff on firehouse meals. In fact, I still, 10 years later, still make some of those firehouse recipes at home now. And so all, all of that has to come together. And I, I think you have to look at, you know, the full life cycle of a firefighter coming into the fire service. How do we keep that person in serviceable condition throughout the next 25 years or 30 years or whatever we're asking them to do? while they're here with our organization. And if we really take a look at it that way, my personal belief is that the rest of those things will come along with it. But the culture will happen because if we're making a deliberate effort to provide for and care for our firefighters, people are very perceptive and they're going to see that the agency or the organization is working in their best interest and is out there trying to fight to to take care of them. And, and I truly believe that that's, that's a big part of it. Is the organization taking care of me? Is my employer looking out for me? And if we're doing these things, uh, that will kind of bring the culture along with it. I want to throw in a couple of points on that because I, I do agree with you. And I, I want to kind of zoom out for a second and just add into this conversation that I think sometimes there's a misperception about firefighters that they're somehow different than society. And the reality is, is firefighters are a swath of, of society. And in other words, there's there's going to be, you know, although, you know, divorce rates are higher, there's certain traits that are higher. Yes. But there is, you know, if you look at general society and you you look at some of the characteristics of firefighters, they're just a microcosm of society. I think we, we would all agree with that. And if you look at society as a whole and you just take two, you know, if you take a binary approach, eat better and do some sort of physical activity the the world or the united states doesn't do really well with information even though they know if you eat better and you have physical activity there there isn't improvements well i would argue that the information has been out there for a long time for firefighters to do whatever types of physical activity to improve you whatever type of nutrition it would improve you i don't disagree i wholeheartedly agree I think a whole suite of options should be available for actually complete municipalities, but with focuses on police departments and fire departments for PT and, and nutrition and, and working out. But I think really where we need to focus is more in the nudging area. In other words, trying to focus in on the psychology and the aspect of people that is preventing them or a barrier to taking that good advice. We keep proposing and showing, hey, if you eat like this, or if you do this type of functional exercise, it will help you. And I'm just not sure that we're getting the, the advancements and the improvement that we're, we're looking for. And so I think maybe it's in its approach that maybe we could have a little bit more advancement. Because while I do agree with the integrative approaches that we're discussing and tying them all together. I just, I'm skeptical 
at the effectiveness because it's in that nudging piece where I feel like we we continually come up short, but maybe because that's the hardest problem to solve. What I struggle with is, you know, and, and, and I did when I was running health and wellness programs, I do to this day, what is firefighter fit and what does that actually mean? And because you could read a program like this or listen to our conversation and reach some conclusion that to be a firefighter, you have to be some kind of mega athlete or be able to have competed in division one sports. I can, and we're, and we're absolutely saying that is not what this, like what that's what I'm saying is that's not what this is. So what is, you know, what is marginally fit? What is optimally fit? What is superiorly fit and what obligation or, and, or, or certain programs do we do to support this? Because a lot of regular people, to your point about a cross section of our community that are firefighters, were never college athletes. We're not even high school athletes. And by most metrics, if not all, they're successful as, as being firefighters. So what, what standard are we training them to and how are we managing that and maintaining it by, as we proceed through life and we get older and, and things change, we as an industry broadly do a, a decent job at the academy level. In fact, in most organizations, that's the only level we do, you know, a, a prescribed wellness routine or fitness routine, highly scheduled, you know, through your academy. And then you go into the firing firefighter profession and, and many of our organizations, we never assess fitness again. Maybe a, a, you know, a wellness test, a, an annual or biannual wellness test that you do through your physicals, but you're not going through the rigor of what strength and conditioning coaches would, would want you to go through. And some organizations do have that annual standards that you have to meet, right? And you hear standard and now you, now you bring in that union culture that I was talking about earlier. And what does that look like? So, I mean, there's a lot of room to improve where we're at as an industry in terms of wellness between where we're at today and getting all the way to a point where we, we're staffing these types of resources for full-blown programs. I'm glad we're having the conversation. I'm glad the industry is having the conversation because that this type of investment in our in our workforce at whatever level it is, somewhere between today and where we can be, what optimally can be, needs to happen and we need to make those investments. I would just add into Bob that arguably there's too many firefighters that are in the best condition of their lives after an academy. And then there's no sort of sense of kind of reevaluation as they go through your careers and just totally agree with those points that Bob's saying. It's a, yeah, what level are we training to? And then what level do we, do we train in, in sustainability? Yeah. I feel like uh, there's a lot of great points and, um, you know, to, to Jeff's point, that nudging, I think each organization has to determine what's the what fit means for them or what their standard is. And ha they have to establish that and then they have to hold people accountable to it. And uh, to Bob's point, you know, that that's where it does become very complicated if you're in a collective bargaining um, environment and how, how that's going to work and how you're going to apply that. And, you know, I don't know if they're are unions that are out there that are meeting agencies in the middle to, to have a standard that they're going to hold people to. So, so that it's, um, you know, it's a safety issue and, and that we're, we're accepting a certain minimum for folks that are still on the job. But I, I definitely think it's important as a, as a former career firefighter, it's comforting knowing that the people who are riding with you can come take care of you physically, that that's not part of the question. And so, you know, that always kind of made me feel good. <laughs> that I, the people I was riding with were going to be able to come get me. And 
Uh, you know, I think as as any other firefighter in any other department, you you want that same feeling. You want to know that the folks around you are physically capable uh, of helping you if they need to. Absolutely. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to see what comes out of this study. But thank you, Andrew and Chiefs, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. A link to the article we discussed can be found in the show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines.